As many of us are confined all around the world, we wanted to provide you with a daily podcast in partnership with Radio Halara, emitting from Palestine. Our ambition for it is not to add to the saturation of information about the pandemic we are currently experiencing, but rather to propose a 15-minute extension of our political imaginaries every day. The concept is very simple. Every day we ask one person the same question. What is for you a moment of true decolonization? The answer can be a historical moment or something they witnessed, something heroic and grandiose or rather discreet and mundane, a durable blow to the structures of colonialism or a short instant of liberation. While we are recording this podcast in privileged conditions of confinement, we keep in our thoughts the multitude of people around the world who do not share similar conditions or have no choice but to risk being affected by the pandemic because of criminal policies that have to do with neoliberalism, carceralism or colonialism. We thank you for listening and wish you and your loved ones the very best wherever you are. Hello everyone, today is the 20th episode of the daily podcast of The Phenomenalist, uh, a moment of true decolonization. And our guest is uh, Ali Jimal Ahmed, who's a Somali poet, a cultural critic, a short story writer and a scholar. Uh, he's also a professor uh, at Queen, Queen's College at the City University of New York in the Africana Studies program and the Department of Classical, Middle Eastern and Asian Languages and Culture. Uh, he's, he's also the, the author of uh, several books, Uh, such as The Invention of Somalia, or more recently, When Donkeys Give Birth to Calves, Totems, Wars, Horizon, Diasporas, and more, and even more recently, a novel, um, Gasso Ganum Iogasin. And uh, we faced uh, a few technical difficulties to record this conversation, so I'm actually recording this introduction uh, later on. We had to record Ali speaking over uh, a phone speakerphone, so its uh, quality is not optimal. But uh, I'm sure that all of you will think that the uh, uh, content of what Ali is saying is much more important than the quality of the of the of the recorded sound. And lastly, I want to thank uh, Baktish Ringarpore, who was the one who put us very kindly in touch. So without further ado, let's hear from Ali. Uh, many thanks, Leopold, for having me on. Uh, this is an important question that you, that you are really posing here. It's a very important question, really, in the sense of decolonization. And what I sort of really have in mind, in a way, is my my understanding of decolonization that it is there's always a before and an after and that it is always a process in which case then i was going to to me at least decolonization is connected to uh human consciousness and consciousness in this sense is a process a process in which, say, my mind, for example, becomes uh, 
cognizant of of something and once it really becomes it realizes that something my mind would be willing to fight for that something and for me then the, the importance really is that decolonization is also a process that's connected to one's consciousness and here's what i mean by this uh i will sort of take an example from hegel's the phenomenology of mind in which of course uh, hegel talks about he says whenever there are two people looking at each other confronting he says uh each consciousness tries to eliminate the other dialectically it doesn't want to kill because if you kill you are not really going to get any homage or respect from a dead body you instead he says want to eliminate their consciousness dialectically and in that sense then this is what he calls the master slave dialectics and in a way then for me at least the colonization really always goes through the mind through one's consciousness and the colonization also or liberation or emancipation and redemption also goes through one's consciousness yet to me again no consciousness could totally really be eliminated it's impossible to eliminate even dialectically one's consciousness and here i'll give uh, an example via an anecdote where they say there was this cook who was really abused by his master then one day supposedly the master had an epiphany of a sort and he calls his cook and he says you know cook from now on i am not going to abuse you the cook looks up at him he looks at him and says is that true sir and the master says yes that's true and then the cook says okay from now on i want spit in your soup he says <laughs> this is the cook and in which case then spitting in the master's soup was really and it is a form of resistance so in a way then once we talk about consciousness in which case the cook's consciousness could not really totally be eliminated but that sort of consciousness individual consciousness is not really the aim i in terms of the colonization then and the moment that you talk about leopold in terms of that true moment of the colonization it is that consciousness that becomes transitive in other words a transformation of an individual's consciousness must be connected to a transformation of one's environment what how that consciousness looks at perceives at your own surroundings in other words there is a chinese proverb actually that says something akin to what i'm trying to say which is the chinese say to know 
and not to act is not to know, they say. To mm. know and not to act is not to know. In other words, if you claim to be know, to know something, then you must really be in a position to act on what you know. And here then is a, 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 a kind of a, a, an anecdote of a sort that comes from uh, the former Zaire Congo Democratic Republic, where there was a lady, illiterate perhaps, and educated perhaps, but a lady who had what is called practical consciousness. So this lady at one point could not really understand what was going on in her own country. And she was really flabbergasted. And then she said, when will this independence come to an end, she says. <laughs> because she's looking at the idea of flag independence and national anthem, which is basically midwifed by kleptocratic goons after all. In other words, for me, the moment of true colonization is when that lady says, when will this independence come to an end? And in a way, you sort of, the interesting thing about this is uh, Thomas R. Kanza from the Congo also, from Zaire, wrote a book called Evolution and Revolution in Africa. And the first sentence that he uses is, quote, independent Africa is not yet free, he says. It's oxymoronic, it's paradoxical, but it is saying something akin to what the lady, the so-called uneducated, illiterate uh, uh, Zairean woman, basically, was really saying. But here, then, I want to connect it to a Somali proverb that says something akin to this. The Somalis say, um, In other words, don't be fooled by the migration of the locust. They leave their larvae behind, they say. In which case then, don't really somehow assume that you are in a moment of uh, a post-colony sort of, because old the old colonizers must have left behind uh, uh, some people, however we might describe them, to... Um, to do their bidding, kind of. What does it really mean then, for me? A moment, in a way, of true decolonization is understanding this. And this comes from Toni Morrison's book, uh, Beloved. And Toni Morrison, in that book, says, freeing, she says, to free yourself is one thing. Claiming ownership of that freed self is another thing. You could sort of free yourself, but to claim ownership of the freed self is another thing, she says, which is also in a way akin to something that Nadine Gordemeyer from South Africa says in her book, Berger's Daughter. And there she says something 
uh, uh, to the effect, she says, real freedom, real, that moment of decolonization that you are talking about is really when you do not recognize yourself. You are totally, a totally different human being that you can't even really recognize yourself. So in a way then, a moment of true decolonization then for me is the combination of all of these sort of things that I'm talking about, in which case it is a realization, an epiphany of a sort at one point where the consciousness, my consciousness, becomes really aware of something important. And once it becomes important, it's willing to sacrifice itself for that something. And from there then, of course, it is, as we said before, it is uh, it's a process always, in which case there is a before and an after. And in a way then, uh, there is this Somali uh, uh, poet who died in 1959. And the sort of poetry that he uses is called Shirb in Somali, which is almost kind of akin to the Japanese haiku. Two lines, short, pithy, and poetic at the same time. And there was something that he said when he looked at Somalia on the cusp of independence. And he said, a dunya he says, I see a pregnant world for which, alas, he says, there is no midwife around hmm. in sight. There is no midwife literally anywhere near, but I see a pregnant world. That, to me, is a moment of true decolonization for me. I would sort of really uh, close it, Leopold, with this uh, a, a, a poem from Amy Cicera, in which he says, there is a place for all at the rendezvous of victory. There is a place for all at the rendezvous of victory, in which case then the moment of decolonization then is the moment when an oppressor, for example, realizes that the freedom, their existence, is tied to that of their perceived or real enemy. In which case then, as the South Africans say, a person is a person only because of other people. A person is a person only because of other people. And in that sense, then, I think what becomes important, the moment of true decolonization, again, is when the human being could really distinguish between a structure and an ideology. The moment that we see that the structure is less harmful, actually, than the ideology, because it's the ideology that sustains and nourishes the structure. 
And here I'll give you an example to, to our audience, uh, to our listeners, in which when I talk about this to my students here in America, I, we talk about the glass ceiling in which they say women cannot really go beyond a certain uh, 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 level. For example, if we are talking about 500 important companies in America, there aren't that many women CEOs, they would say. And I tell them that that is not really the problem. You could have women CEOs running the 500 important big companies in this country and yet the ideology that sustains the structure in the first place the ideology that says women are inferior unless you deal with that ideology you will never really be able to do away with the problem and i think that sort of realization is a moment of true colonization. In other words, again, talking about America, uh, during the the, um, the civil rights movement here in this country, there was a journalist who went to the South, Alabama or Mississippi, one of those places, and they met with an African-American woman. And they said, they said aren't you though happy, even though you haven't really got your own civil rights, but aren't you happy, they said, that Ralph Bunge, an African-American, is the Deputy Secretary General of the UN. And the lady, again, like the lady in Zaire, perhaps illiterate, perhaps uneducated, looks at the journalist and says, the food, I'm happy for him, she says, for Ralph Bunge. But the food on his table, she says, will not really fill my stomach. That, for me, is a moment of true decolonization. It goes beyond race and understands the dialectics and dynamic dynamics of, of, of class also. And I'll stop there, I think. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, Thank you so much for uh, taking us on a, on quite a travel between China, Japan, Congo, uh, Somalia, South Africa, the Caribbean, and uh, and North America. Uh, I I wish people could see uh, the device of recording here because you're you're basically talking on a phone, completely buried in clothes so that the sound does not escape too much with a recorder also in clothing. Right. That's true. That's really true. <laughs> but I really tried to help, but I am a Luddite, unfortunately. It's it's perfectly fine. I actually, I actually kind of like this device. Uh, so, Ali, thank you so much again for taking the time uh, to speak with us today and to share with us those incredible uh, proverbs and anecdotes. I think this was incredibly enriching for in particular for anyone who has been listening uh, a little bit from the series itself because it, it brings one more uh, stone in a, in, a, in a quite interesting heteroclite building. <laughs> thank you, really. And, and thank you for, for posing that important question. And thank you for inviting me on, really. 
That's all for today. Find us tomorrow again for a new episode as part of this daily podcast series. And if you're a subscriber to The Finalist, remember that you have access to every single article we published in the past in their online version on our website. Thank you very much and take care.